Well, take your Bible, if you will, and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We are in the Sermon on the Mount as we have been walking verse by verse through this uh, particular sermon. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, and we have some extra Bibles in the back. We'd love for you to follow along with us. If you have an electronic device, you can pull that out as well and track with us on uh, that Bible app that you have on your iPad or your phone, and we will learn God's Word together. Matthew chapter 6. I want to read the entire Lord's Prayer. Last week we introduced uh, this prayer and kind of give, gave an overview, uh, a flyover, if you will, to look at the parts of this prayer. And last week we looked at the first part in verse 9. Today we'll look at part 2 on just verse 10 as we consider the Lord's model prayer. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 9. Are you ready for the scripture? Pray then in this way. And we learned last week that Jesus is not telling us that we should pray this prayer word for word, but in this manner or along these lines. And then he gives us a model prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. You continue with me. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Amen. Dr. R.C. Sproul is the founder and the chairman of the Ligonier Ministries, And he is considered by most to be one of the champion theologians for Reformed theology. And he is one of the ablest communicators of the gospel in our country. He tells the story of an occasion just months after he was converted when he was invited to a Christmas party at his pastor's home. His pastor did not believe in the miracles of Jesus or in the resurrection of Christ. I think we can safely say that he was an unconverted man. Somewhat annoyed by R.C.'s newfound zeal for biblical Christianity, at the party, the pastor called R.C. over and said to him, Tell me, R.C., what is the kingdom of God? He did not know how to answer him. How would you answer him? What is the kingdom of God? As we come to this section in our second petition of the Lord's model prayer, it's very important that if we're going to understand verse 10, we must ask some questions. Questions like, What is the kingdom of God? And why is it a part of this model prayer? What does Jesus mean when he says, we must pray, your kingdom come? 
And how does this apply to us today? How does this work for us in everyday life? The theme of this great section, as we have learned, is that Jesus is teaching us the matters about which we should pray. The matters about which we should pray. He's already taught us that as we pray, one of the primary matters that we should be praying about is the glorifying and the honoring of God's name. That was the first petition given in verse 9. Now write this down and remember it. The purpose of prayer is to glorify God's name. It's to glorify God's name. It's to ask for God's help to accomplish His will on earth. This prayer begins, this model prayer begins with God's interests, not our own. God's name, not our own. God's kingdom, not our own. It was Robert Law who said that prayer is a mighty instrument for not for getting man's will done in on earth or getting God's will done on earth. We have no right to ask God for anything that would dishonor his name, delay his kingdom, or disturb his will on the earth. If we're to pray in a way that pleases God, Jesus said, first of all, we must pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And we came to understand that that means that there must be a recognition of a spiritual relationship with God. That's where it starts. Our Father. We are not praying to fate. We are not praying to the universe. We are not praying to some uh, distant, impersonal figure. If you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we pray our Father. Maker of heaven and earth. And he has become our Father. How? Because by his own sovereign grace, he's caused us to be born again. He's bestowed upon us the gift of faith. He has reconciled us to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. And by faith, we have been adopted into the family of God. We've been made one of his own children. And now we can come to God as members of his own family. And call them Father. In our men's group on Thursday, um, we sat around a round table at Paradise Bakery studying the Word of God together. And I did not know this, but apparently just having Bible study there is being such a witness. People stop regularly and say to us, we're happy you guys are sitting here doing this. One lady stopped in the middle of our study, stopped and she said, boy, it's so good to see you guys studying the Bible. Our Abba appreciates it. I knew exactly what she meant. She knew God as her father and she saw that we were in his book and she was trying to encourage us. We can call God our father Because of Jesus Christ. Now, secondly, in addition to this recognition of a spiritual relationship, 
we must be reminded of his sovereign rule. We're now recapping verse 9. That God is in heaven and we are on earth. Therefore, our words are to be few. That, that God is not like our earthly fathers. Even the best earthly father is nothing compared to God. And as we approach Him, there is to be a sense of understanding that He rules over all things. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. You see, although God is near to us in Jesus Christ, He is still transcendent above us. And His name is to be respected. And so we, as His children, desire to honor His name in two ways. In what we believe and in how we live. In what we believe and in how we live. I was so reminded of this fact as I've been studying through this passage that when I was a young boy, and when I used to get in trouble, and that was quite often, I was a hard-headed little kid. But when I got in trouble, my dad and my mom used to always say to me, we didn't teach you to act like this. You, you're dishonoring our name. You need to get, now they said it in pretty stronger terms. I'm giving you the sanitized version. Um, but, you know, we, we, you need to live in a way that doesn't make us look bad, boy. I didn't get it then. I get it now. When we live right and we believe right, it brings honor to God's name. Can I get a witness here? And that's all recapitulation. Now let's now jump into the text. As we come to the second part of this petition, we want to ask four questions to help us unpack this text. Okay? I want to give you the four questions up front, and then we will look at each one together. All right? First question is, what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? I'll give you time to write that down. What is the kingdom of God? Second, why should we pray thy kingdom come? What did Jesus mean by this? Third, when the kingdom comes, how can we identify it? There's a lot of kingdom talk going on. Folks talking about the kingdom. We need to, does it have some marks? Does it it have some ways that we can identify it and see it? And say, yes, that is God's kingdom. Finally, if we are in God's kingdom, what should it lead us to do? What should it lead us to do? Fair questions? All right, Skip, let's look at it. Let's go down into it, all right? 
As we come to verse 9, let your eyes drop to the page of verse 10. Jesus made it clear. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One of my favorite theologians is a man by the name of former pastor uh, and theologian, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He challenges us as we come to this text to notice the order. And he says, quote, When we begin by asking that the name of God be hallowed among us, at that moment, we are reminded of the fact that his name is not hallowed among us. And at once it raises the question, why do not all men now bow before the sacred name? Why is not every man on earth concerned about humbling himself in the presence of God and worshiping him and using every moment in adoring him and spreading forth his name? And the answer, of course, is because of sin. Because there is another kingdom, the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of darkness. End quote. Now, although we as Christians desire that God's name be honored and God's name be glorified, we are reminded that the reason that it is not glorified and it is not honored is because of the fall. Because of sin. Because at the beginning of history, when our first parents disobeyed God in the garden, sin entered the world, and Satan, through his lies and his deceptions, set up a counterfeit kingdom. It's called the kingdom of darkness. It's a kingdom that opposes God. This is the reason for the problems that we face of sin and evil and opposition in the world. We call it the world system. Here are some verses to support this point. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 verse 15. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. John, writing to believers concerning this counterfeit kingdom, this kingdom of darkness, tells us as Christians, verse 15, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, do not love the world, nor... The things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, this world system, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. It's not from the Father, but it's from the world. The world is passing away, and also it's lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. 
flip over a couple of pages to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. We know that we are of God, those who have been born again, those who have believed it savingly in Jesus Christ. We know that we are of God and that the whole, what? World lies in the power of the evil one. Do you see it? Let me give you a couple of other verses. James chapter 4. Start turning to the left and you'll run into the book of James. James chapter 4. James is expounding upon the need for wisdom and the source of quarrels and conflicts among you. And notice what he says. Let's start at verse 1. What is the source of, of quarrels and conflicts among you? We need to remember this now. Whenever there's a problem, a struggle, conflict, James tells us here. What's the source? Verse 1. Is not the source your pleasures or your desires that wage war in your members? In other words, the hidden source comes from sin within your own heart. Verse 2. You lust and do not have, so you commit Murder. You are envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Verse 4. You adulteresses. That means being unfaithful to God. Do you not know that friendship with the world... This world system is hostility toward God. And therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Why? Because there's a counterfeit kingdom that's opposed to God. Let me just give you one more verse. How about Colossians chapter 1? Keep turning to the left. You should run into the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. We're trying to unpack what this counterfeit kingdom is all about before we understand what is the kingdom of God. And it's a kingdom led by Satan. It's a world system that values what people want to be and do and have more than the will of God. It is a system that is opposed to God. But it is a system that Christians actually are delivered from when they're saved. Colossians 1, 13. Oh, I love this verse. For he, that is God, rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Praise God for that. What we need to know is this. From the very beginning, when our first parents fell into sin and the world fell into sin, God had planned that although Satan entered and deceived our first parents and took this temporary rule, God had always planned that there would be an inbreaking of his kingdom. 
that there would be this breakthrough and he would turn all of the kingdoms of the world to himself and into his own glorious kingdom. There would be an, a breakthrough, an inbreaking of his kingdom into this counterfeit kingdom. God would establish his rule. So, here's the question. What is the kingdom of God? The easy answer is this. The kingdom of God is wherever God reigns. That's the easy answer. Wherever God reigns, He rules. Now, we must ask, well, where does God reign? Everywhere. Amen? So God rules everywhere. And although there is a counterfeit kingdom, that counterfeit kingdom is still under the reign and the control and the sovereignty of God himself. Luther said the devil is God's devil. He's not some counter or some extra God. He is a fallen angel under God's sovereign rule. If we want to know this lesson about God reigning wherever he is and him ruling over all things, all we have to do is go to the book of Daniel. Don't turn there. Just remember it. Make a star uh, note on your sheet. You go to the book of Daniel and you'll see that this was the lesson that God taught Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> I call him Mr. Big Stuff. At least that's what he thought he was. He thought he was big stuff. And God humbled him. And if you go to chapter 4, you will see in chapter 4, over and over and over again, God was telling this king that he needs to understand that it is God who reigns in heaven and on earth. It is God who rules over all things because the kingdom of God is wherever he reigns. Wherever he reigns. Now, if we have this clear in our mind, then... We can break it down further to see that the kingdom of God speaks of three unique aspects. One is the past, one is in the present, and the other is in the future. So, as we break it down further, let us understand the kingdom of God is, number one, when Jesus inaugurated his kingdom when he came. That is in the past. Now, would you think back with me? At the beginning of the Gospels, John the Baptist hits the scene. He begins his ministry. He's preaching the Gospel. As John is preaching the Gospel, you remember what he said? Repent for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus came right after John the Baptist. And Jesus said the same words. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now was John and Jesus speaking only about the nearness of God's rule? Well, Jesus explains to us that the kingdom had come near because the king of the kingdom was in their midst. Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 20 tells us this. 
Jesus makes it very clear in his teaching. So when Jesus came, he inaugurated God's kingdom. He started it, if you will, but he did not consummate it. He inaugurated it, but he did not consummate it. That's the past. Let's come now to the present. The kingdom of God, number two, is also here at this moment in the hearts of those who believe. In the hearts of those who submit to him. In other words, the kingdom of God is present in the church. And not just the visible church, but the church of those who belong to Christ. Those who are truly saved within the visible church. The kingdom of God is in their hearts. This is what we read in Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness, transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. We are in the kingdom because he rules in our hearts. And so the question is, does he rule in your heart? Is his word the final authority in your life? Does his peace rule over your life like an umpire? Saying, this is out. This is in. Does the authority of Christ and his word rule in your life? I love my wife, but Jesus is my final authority. I love the church, but Jesus is my final authority. You may love your job, but if you are a Christian, Christ is your final authority. The kingdom of God rules in the hearts of those who belong to him. Our top allegiance is not to this nation. It's to Christ. Our top allegiance is not to a political party. It is to Jesus Christ. And if you are saved, you belong to him. And he belongs to you. Third, we move now from the past and the present to the future. The kingdom of God is the final messianic kingdom. When his kingdom shall be established here on earth. That day is yet to come. And I love when we sing the song, Jesus shall reign wherever the sun does its successive journeys run. His kingdom spread from shore to shore till moons shall wax and wane no more. The day is coming. The whole message of the Bible looks forward to the day when the kingdom that Christ came to inaugurate and to establish will be completed on this earth. On this earth. We read about this time in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 11 verse 15. Revelation chapter 12 verse 10. And in other passages. And so what we need to know is this, at this very moment, 
Jesus is engaged in the task of building his kingdom. Did you know that? Some of you all think Jesus is just sitting up in heaven, you know, sitting there just kind of waiting for a particular buzzer to go off on the clock so he can come back again. But that's not true. According to the word of God, Jesus reigns now. He is not waiting to reign. He is reigning now. When he ascended, there was, there was a coronation day, like a king coming to his throne. And now, right very now, he reigns from heaven. But through the gospel, by his spirit, He is calling the elect home to himself. And perhaps he's calling you today. Perhaps he's calling some of you. Where he begins to convict you of your sin. To open your eyes to your need for the Savior. He causes you to be born again to where you love what he loves and hate what he hates. He gives you a new heart and a new start. And he sets up his rule in your life. And the only thing that explains it is that God did it. And brick by brick, person by person, elect person by elect person, God is bringing his kingdom to bear. And according to the Apostle Paul, there will come a time when he returns in glory. And he will complete the work. He will judge completely the world. And he will reign on this earth. And he will renovate all things. And then in his rule and in his reign, he will hand it back to the Father, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that God may be all in all. There's coming a day when the kingdom will be consummated. And every knee of every tribe, of every person, will bow before Jesus. Listen to how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 14, verse 11. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. Some will bow their knees in joyful adoration, like our brother Jerry is right now in the Courts of heaven and the portals of glory in joyful adoration bowing before God and others will be forced to bow their knees because they will not have him as their king. But they bow now in judgment. Dear church. There are some of you here today, you know the right answers, you, you seek to do the right things, but you've not had a heart change. You need a new heart and a new start. Jesus gives you the opportunity today, for today is the day of salvation, to bow your knee before him. To acknowledge who he is. To surrender your soul to him. He gives you that chance today. Today. But today is the day of salvation. Today is God's word. Tomorrow is the devil's word. And don't wait until it's too late. 
many years ago, the story is told of John Guest, an evangelist from England who came to Philadelphia. And he spent a few days in America going through the antique stores in Germantown. These antique stores focused particularly on the Revolutionary War. And he came across a plaque dated back to the 18th century. And it contained this phrase. We serve no sovereign here. And when he read it, it caused him to ask, how could I preach the gospel of the kingdom of God to a people who, who will not have a sovereign to rule over them? He found a dilemma in his mind. Martin Luther found no dilemma in his mind. For Martin Luther believed, like I believe, like many of you believe, that the gospel, when the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is preached and owned by the Holy Spirit, it will bring the power of God's rule in the heart of an individual. So though sinners say, I will have no sovereign to rule over me, we keep preaching the gospel because in the gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. We keep preaching, we keep preaching, we keep preaching. And God, by his grace, brings his rule in the hearts of those who have been elected. This is the kingdom of God. Now, why? Why? Number two, why should we pray? Thy kingdom come. Now that we understand what the kingdom is, we can see that this petition is teaching us that we should desire, come up close and listen now, that we should desire that God's kingdom would come in the hearts of men. Do you see it? It should be the desire of our hearts that Christ's rule, that Christ's reign would be experienced in the lives of people. That people would know him, that they would love him, that they would obey him, that they would surrender to him. And so, if we are Christians, then we should be concerned about souls. To the degree that we pray about it. And we're praying thy kingdom come. That people would be saved. That the rule of Christ would come in their lives. So a part of the Lord's model prayer involves. Prayer for the souls of men and women and boys and girls. Oh thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come in their hearts. God, establish your kingdom in their hearts. We're not praying for simply the millennial reign to take place. We're praying for people to be saved right here and now. And this is how we participate. One of the ways, at least, we participate in missions. You don't have to go to the mission field all the time. 
it goes beyond just giving toward missions. You can pray every single day that God would bring about his rule in the hearts of people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is why we pray, thy kingdom come. Don't you want the kingdom to come in your family? Don't you want the kingdom to come in the hearts of those who are your loved ones? I, I, I want that so bad, not only for my, my family, but for your family as well, that God's rule would be established in their hearts. Because when it does, you know, you're not fighting so much about right and wrong and priorities, you know, because you understand it's all about his kingdom. Amen. Number three, when the kingdom comes in a person's life, how can we identify it? Fair question. Well, the nature the nature and the rule of Christ's kingdom can be summed up in three characteristics. And I want you to find those characteristics in this verse. Romans 14, verse 17. Andy read it at the beginning of our service. Romans 14, 17. There are three characteristics. Let me read the verse. Then I want you to tell me what number one is, what number two is, and what number three is. And this is how we can identify the kingdom. Are you ready? Romans fourteen seventeen. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but, number one, righteousness. Number two, peace. And number three, joy. In the Holy Spirit. So you want to know when the kingdom has come in a person's life? You want to know? There it is. Paul says at the beginning of the verse, he says, the rule of God, the kingdom of God, is not eating and drinking. What does he mean by that? What he means by that is that the essence of the kingdom is not about meat or drink. It's not about external things. It's not about promoting external things, fighting over non-essentials. It's not about wrangling about words and programs. The kingdom is not about arguing and bickering over earthly stuff. No, it's about number one. Righteousness. What kind of righteousness do you think that he's speaking of here? Justifying righteousness or sanctifying righteousness? You see, there's a righteousness which comes to the Christian when he believes in Jesus Christ and we are justified by faith. That means that in heaven we are declared right with God based upon the merits of another. That declaration of righteousness is a forensic thing. It happens in the courts of heaven so that 
in the book of life, it is clear that you are one of His and that your sin has been forgiven and covered. There's another kind of righteousness, though, because for those who have experienced that justifying righteousness, an impact takes takes place on earth. Their life begins to line up with the standard of God. Not perfectly, progressively, where we begin to live more and more under the rule of God as we grow in our faith. So which aspect do you think it's speaking of? We have a both here up on the first row. It's third row here. Yeah, I think, obviously, it's connected to both because you can't have the second without the first. But if you've experienced justifying righteousness, there will be a sanctifying righteousness in your life and in mine. So you can't say, oh, I'm right with God and live like the devil. You can't say, I'm right with God and you're a hell raiser on earth. You can't say, I'm right with God, but I want nothing to do with his church, his will, his, 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 his people, his law, his agenda. It doesn't match. When you say, I belong to Jesus Christ, then people ought to look for some evidence in our lives. Amen? So number one, the kingdom of God is about this righteousness. Justifying righteousness and sanctifying righteousness. And some of you right now, you're living in ways you're saved, perhaps, but you're living in such a way that it would cause people to question your own salvation. And it is in those things that you need to say, you know what, I need to repent of that. I need to let that go. That is affecting my testimony. It is affecting my assurance. Number two, Paul says it's not just about righteousness, but it's about, number two, peace. Ah, what is that talking about? The translators don't like when I use that word, ah, because they can't translate it when they're writing my uh, transcripts there. They, peace, uh, peace, peace, peace. What is this peace? It's not just peace with God. That comes when you get the justifying righteousness. But this peace speaks about a right relationship with others. You see, when you are saved, you want to be rightly related to others. The Bible says, as far as it has with you, be at peace with all men. You want to be at peace, not just with believers, but with unbelievers too. With unbelievers too. And so you're willing to take steps to make sure that you're right with people. And may I say this while I'm walking this way? You don't wait. You take care of it right away. 
Sometimes we are convicted about an issue and God shows us that issue and then we wait for the opportune time. No, when God shows you, that's the opportune time to get it right. Peace. Peace. Are you in right relationship with others? If I have experienced the righteousness of God, it's going to show in my life. And one of the ways it shows in my life is in how I live and and how I treat others. But I love this this last one here. It's not only righteousness and peace, but it's also what? (laughs) Ha <laughs> ha. Joy. 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 Do you have the joy of the Lord? A church ought to be a place where there's some joy. But some of us look like we've been kicked and stomped and weaned on a sour pickle. I tell you, sometimes we look so angry. Uh, <laughs> we need a little joy. Amen. We need a lot of joy. But what Paul means here is that if we're living right and if we have peace with others, then really it's because God has given us joy. Someone who is right with God and someone who is at peace with their brother will have joy. And this is why Romans fifteen thirteen says... Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. You see, when we believe God, when we trust God, when we obey God, there's a peace and a joy that comes. And so every time I find myself miserable, I don't need to look at you. I just look at me. And I said, Lord, where am I disobeying? Where do I need to get right? What do I need to trust you for? What do I need to repent of? And when I get right with God, he might say, listen, you're not right with your wife. He doesn't say those words. He just impresses it on my heart. And then I go and I get right with my wife. And when I do that and I do it in the right way or with my kids, then this joy comes. This joy comes. Can I get a witness here? Oh, we need joy. And you know, one of the greatest testimonies that Christians can have is when they're living right and being right with each other and having joy when the whole world is falling apart. And they look at us and they say, why why are you doing right and paying your taxes and doing the right thing and, and trying to live right in your family? Why are you doing that? And why is there some peace? And why are you apologizing for your attitude? And they're at looking for answers. And we can tell them. You know, I'm apologizing to you because I'm, I'm a Christian and I know the Lord wasn't pleased with how I spoke to you and how I treated you. And we repent. And God restores our joy. Last but not least. If we are in the kingdom of God, what should it lead us to do? What should it lead us to do? Well, John Calvin is one of my heroes of the faith. This uh, Swiss reformer 
was one of the strongest Bible teachers that uh, the world has ever known. He said these words, and I quote, It is the task of the church to make the invisible kingdom visible. But how do we bear witness to the reality of a kingdom that already exists? Then he answers, We live in such a way as to bear witness of the reality of the kingship of Christ within our family, in our school, in our checkbooks. And because God in Christ is king over every sphere of our life, the only way the kingdom of God is going to be manifest in this world before Christ comes is if we manifest it through our lives. End quote. I say amen to that. Start at home. Start at home. Then start on your job. Move to your job. Start with your school. Start in your giving and in your praying. And it shows who rules over your life. Peter, obviously thinking about the consummation of the kingdom of God, said, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and with the elements. The elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be dis- burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming day of the Lord? Fast forward to verse 14. He says, since you look for all these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace. Spotless. Blameless. And regard the patience of the Lord as salvation. We should be ready. By repenting every day. Keep short accounts, dear church, okay? This is what we should do. Be ready by repenting every day. Every day. Be repenting. Be a repenter. Live a life of repentance. That thought comes, oh Lord, I repent. That attitude comes, Lord, I repent. That action comes, Lord, I repent. That fear that immobilizes you so that you don't do what God would have you to do. Oh, Lord, I repent. And then trust, obey. Be ready by living a life of repentance and faith. Be holy. Be set apart. God doesn't call us to be perfect, but to be holy. 
holy. Be set apart. Live for God. Don't be ashamed of His name. And be diligent. Be diligent to be at peace with others and live above reproach. Don't give people a cause to blame you. And all God's people said. Now, if I'm in the kingdom, it's going to affect how I live, right? And where we all live has an effect, uh, has, a, has, a, has a way of making demands on us. I live in a neighborhood where the garbage can collector comes on Tuesday mornings. And um, it's my responsibility to make sure that the trash cans get to the curb. Now, I try to delegate that to my kids. <laughs> but uh, that's a whole other story. So I, it's my responsibility to make sure they get out there. Now, listen, I forget often. So Mary has to remind me <laughs> that night or sometimes early in the morning. Hey, it's trash day. Did you get the garbage cans on the street? But let me tell you something I don't do. I do not leave the trash cans on the street and then take the trash out to the curb and leave it on the street all week long. Now, I don't do that because if I did, I'm going to have some trouble with my neighbors. The association is going to call me. I'm going to be in trouble. So I, it's my responsibility to make sure that I collect it in my backyard and then at the appropriate day, bring it out there. And then when they take it, to take my trash cans back and to keep my front lawn and the front way straight. It's your responsibility as a Christian. Not the pastors, not the elders, not the deacons. It's your responsibility as a Christian to keep your street clean. To keep your life clean. Because people are watching. People are watching you. And be known as one of the neighbors who has things in order. Amen? Let's pray. Father, there's much to repent for, Lord, and much to thank you for. And as our heads are bowed before you, we surrender once again to your rule in our lives. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Perhaps today is the day when for the very first time God is calling you to surrender your life to him. Listen, you're thinking that you need to become good enough. It'll never happen. You're thinking maybe, you know, I need to get my life in order before I come to God. God requires that you see your need of him and that you recognize Christ as Savior and Lord, that you come to Jesus and surrender your heart to him. So today, would you cry out to God in your heart of hearts? Lord, save me. Give me a new heart, Lord. Give me a new start. 
Cause me, Lord, to be born from above. I don't know what that means fully, but I desire to be what you desire for me to be. And I can't do it. I need your help. And if you would call upon Jesus' name, in your own words, from your heart, God, by his grace, will come into your life and give you a new heart and a new start. As Christians today, surrender afresh. Thank you, Lord, for hearing us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.